0: The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. From Perth, this is the G'day A Mining Podcast, or GEM for short. And I'm your Australian American host, Peter Morris. This is the podcast that bridges the Pacific, focusing on the two countries where most mining exploration companies are listed, Australia and Canada. The world depends on discoveries by exploration companies in these countries to achieve the energy transition targets. Their role is critical, and these are their stories, in particular, explorers whose potential has been missed. We're in the middle of a podcast series covering lithium. Australia dominates the lithium industry, not only accounting for around half of the world's production, but also its technical expertise. Because of this expertise, ASX-listed companies are leaders in emerging hard rock as well as sedimentary hosted deposits in Canada and the United States. As a former fundee, I was always asked why I should care about investment. So why should you care about lithium, specifically lithium in North America? First, it could be a good opportunity. The stocks were hammered earlier in the year as lithium prices in China collapsed, but prices appear to have bottomed and begun to rebound. This trajectory could be maintained, assuming that demand doesn't fall due to an economic slowdown. Second, the opportunity in North America is huge. Based on the number of announced EV battery plants, the United States will need over 600,000 tons of of lithium carbonate equivalent LCE by roughly 2031. This doesn't factor in demand for lithium for energy storage. This is equivalent to nearly twice Australia's production last year or the entire world's production in 2021. Producing 600,000 tons of LCE locally by 2030 will be very difficult if not impossible because so many mines will be needed. Currently, there's only one small operating mine in the United States, and recently, Siona restarted production of a project in Quebec, becoming the second in Canada. It's important to note that EV credits in the United States favor production from countries with free trade agreements, including Canada and Australia. Today, I'm joined by one of those companies exploring for lithium in North America, whose potential has been missed. Jindalee Resources and its executive director and CEO, Lindsay Dudfield. Jindalee was early in clay-hosted lithium deposits in the United States. In fact, Jindalee acquired the property almost exactly five years ago. And in only five years, the company has identified a staggering resource of 21.5 million tons of LC. Yes, I said 21.5 million tons, which would make it the largest resource in the United States and one of the largest globally, based on my estimates. The company recently hired Fluor, which is a leading engineering construction company based in the US that operates globally, to conduct a pre feasibility study that will be released later this year. Fluor has also done design work for Ioneer's Rhyolite Ridge project in Nevada. The company is in the McDermott caldera north of Lithium America's Thacker Pass deposit. In fact, Lithium America's once owned Gindole's property. To give you a perspective, Thacker Pass has a measured and indicated resource of 16.1 million tons out of a total resource of 19. Lithium America is targeting production of 80,000 tons. So of lithium carbonate in two phases. In its 43-101 feasibility study that was published in November 2022, the company highlighted an after-tax IRR of 21.4% based on CapEx of $2.3 billion for phase one and $1.7 billion for phase two. So why should you care about Jindalee? The first, of course, is the size of the resource. It's massive. Second is its management. Lindsay is a proven leader. He has developed numerous companies. Importantly, his interests are aligned with investors as the largest shareholder of Jindalee's stock with an ownership stake of over 25%. He clearly believes in the company. Since its founding, the company was focused and has been focused on creating shareholder value. Looking just at McDermott, the cumulative expiration evaluation expense to book this resource has been less than Australian dollars, 10 million and the stock has a value of over $100 But there's more to come. In a presentation in 2007, Jindalí and his project generator model described itself as a low-risk entry to a high-risk sector. This sums it up well. Let's dig in. Lindsay, welcome, and thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here.
0: Let's start by discussing the resource of McDermott Lithium America's VP of Exploration, Dr. Tom Benson, described the caldera as the largest lithium deposit in the world based on a report published by the Nevada Bureau of Mines and Geology. You saw the potential earlier than others in state ground. Could you tell us what you saw that others didn't and why this caldera possesses so much lithium? Yes,
1: thanks, Peter. Well, actually, if we take a step back, it's why did we become interested in sediment-hosted lithium deposits in the United States? Um, So I'd been really impressed by how unconventional hydrocarbons had transformed the the US economy and how they'd gone from being a major importer of oil and gas in the mid 2000s to a net energy exporter in a really short space of time. It was super impressive. Um, You know, in 2007, there were LNG import terminals being built around the coast of the United States. And by 2013, these terminals were being converted to export LNG. Uh, It's quite amazing. Um, So, you know, for this transformation to occur, you needed four elements. Um, You needed favourable geology or endowment of hydrocarbons. Uh, You needed a high underlying commodity price. To encourage investment risk investment Um, you you needed a supportive uh, government policy including tax incentives uh, and most importantly probably other than the endowment you needed technological advances Uh, in this case it was horizontal drilling and fracking that allowed the tight shales to be uh, to be opened up and, and and the hydrocarbons to be released so we could see a similar situation developing with the electrification of the United States, uh, and it was already at well underway in, in, in Europe and to a lesser extent in, in China. So in late 2017, uh, we started looking very seriously at sediment-hosted lithium in the United States. Um, these are very large, uh, low-grade deposits. Um, you know, uh, obviously, you mentioned Lithium America's Thacker Pass deposit. That had already been recognised as being a very large deposit, albeit smaller then than it is now. Uh, the lithium price was rising, so you had a, if you like, a favourable uh, macro background there. Uh, and also, the work that was being done by Lithium Americas at Thacker Pass and ear at Rylite Ridge uh, suggested that the technological risk. Uh, that was perceived for these deposits it wasn't as great as 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 you know most investors believed, and and that the technology to profitably extract lithium from sediments uh, was being developed. So with that backdrop, um, early 2018, Pip Darvel, who was our CEO at the time, uh, compiled a short list of of target areas in the Western US, and in March 2018, we hopped on a plane and flew there, and we sampled most of these areas uh, and the samples from the McDermott area uh, came back particularly strongly anomalous in lithium and and equally importantly the area appeared to have the sort of scale uh, that we were looking for in a project uh, so we we mobilized uh, pegging crews uh, in um, April uh, then uh, we the claims uh, that we pegged uh, were granted in June. Uh, and we commenced uh, proof-of-concept drilling in September 2018. So despite drilling issues, you know, we we, we drilled four holes. Uh, each hole was two kilometres apart, so a long way apart, uh, and, and each hole, unfortunately, was abandoned because of the drilling issues uh, at around about 90-odd metres vertical depth. But, you know, even so... We, uh, we got continuous lithium mineralisation in the sediments from surface to end of hole in all four holes that we drilled. And so, if you like, the, the concept had been proved uh, and it was game on. Uh, and so we've continued to drill each year. Uh, we've drilled more holes at McDermott. We've now um, you know, completed 62 holes uh, to the end of last year. And as you mentioned, the, the resource is now 21.5 million tonnes of LCE making it the largest uh, lithium deposit in the United States. Uh, And our our near-neighbours, Thacker Pass deposit, owned by Lithium Americas, uh, at 19 million tonnes. You know, you've got uh, the two largest lithium deposits in in the United States, 30-odd kilometres apart, both within the McDermott caldera. So you asked, you know, what is so special? about the McDermott caldera. Why has it got such high lithium endowment? Um, So the volcanics that erupted and and basically formed the caldera back around 16 million years ago, they were pretty special in that they had unusually high lithium background. Uh, And then the the, um, sediments that formed within the caldera or the crater, so uh, crater uh, lake-type sediments, uh, they were further enriched in lithium, uh, probably via a combination of weathering of these lithium-rich volcanics that have been erupted, and also uh, lithium-rich hydrothermal fluids that were circulating within within the, uh, if you like, the soup, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. the sediments, the wet sediments within the, within the, uh, the crater lake, um, and so. Uh, and also importantly, it was a closed system, so the lithium couldn't escape. Uh-huh. So it continued to get concentrated until the volcanic activity um, ceased. Uh, and, and so you've wound up with a, a very uh, a high lithium endowment, particularly in the sediments on the western side of the caldera. So you could say, mm-hmm. Pete, that the, the geological stars aligned perfectly back 16 million years ago or so in this particular spot. And, and that's why we have such very high lithium endowment today.
0: Your answer highlights two things that I want to touch on. First, I was an energy analyst during the period when that occurred. Your summary was one of the best that I've heard. Secondly, the last part of it, and that shows your background perspective after covering this area for five decades. The second point is your description of the geology. You're a geologist, you have a long history in this. You've been in the industry for five decades. Early in your career, you helped to discover Scuttle's VMS deposit, which is still producing. You were founding director of Dalrymple Resources, which made several gold and nickel discoveries before being taken over by Lion Ore following the discovery of the Thunderbox Gold Deposit. You founded Jindalee in the late '90s, and since then, Jindalee has spawned numerous listed companies across uranium, copper, nickel, and many other minerals. You sit yeah. on boards of three of these companies: Dynamic Metals, Energy Metals, and Alchemy Resources. Your background's unique. Tell us more about your career and what you think has made you successful.
1: Well, I really love the game. That's, you know, <laughs> don't have a very, I know it's very simplistic, but I love getting out of bed in the morning. It's a very, very, uh, you know, I'm passionate about it. It's a very, I think it's a very exciting sector to be in the junior exploration sector. Um, but sort of going back to uh, what got me interested in geology initially, I mean, I'd always been interested in science uh, and I actually intended to do uh, medicine. Um, you know, I was living in New Zealand and I, and I, uh, I was spending... Um, uh, most of my time, uh, you know, weekends and so on, in, in the mountains, you know, climbing mountains, uh, hunting deer and, and, and re- you know, really, I love the outdoors. Uh, and I took geology as a, a fill-in subject, if you like, as part of my medicine intermediate and I loved it. And And I, I suppose that's because I was seeing... You know, geology in action, you know, every time I, I, I went into the mountains, you know, yep. I, was being, I was seeing them being eroded and, and, and washed out to sea to then ultimately be recycled, you know, and in, in, in a few uh, hundred million years as the next mountain range, or, you know, mm-hmm. active volcanism, obviously, in New Zealand and, you know, we have regular earthquakes in and, and Wellington and so on. So, so I found it all very fascinating and I was sort of, I found it kind of familiar as well. Um, uh, but, you know, there was no work for geologists in New Zealand, uh, certainly economic geologists. So so after graduating, I went to, uh, I headed to Western Australia uh, mm-hmm. and I've been based in Perth, uh, you know, continuously since 1979. Um, and now, I've been really fortunate through my career. I've been surrounded by uh, some very uh, talented and and, and insp- inspiring uh, geologists um, Pretty well all of them smarter than me. Um, and uh, this was initially I started in the minerals division of Amoco and, and and Esso, so both American oil companies that at the time mm-hmm. had mineral exploration divisions. Um, and then uh, at Dalrymple, you mentioned, uh, and there I was working with uh, Josh Pitt, uh, who's a bit of a legend in, in uh, the WA mining sector, uh, mm-hmm. and Marcus Harris. And, and, and you know, Josh uh, taught me uh, in particular the importance of being patient Uh, and taking a counter-cyclic approach to investment. And this is particularly relevant to the junior resource sector, um, you know, because, you know, the cyclic nature of metal prices and also investor sentiment. So that was one really important learning that I took away from working alongside uh, Josh at Dalrymple. I'm also a big believer of having uh, that you should have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really helps you to stay focused, uh, and and I think make better decisions. Uh, these are decisions that, that are in the best interests of all your shareholders because you think like a shareholder rather than an employee. So I think that's a really important uh, uh, you know factor, and and I encourage it all of our uh, all of our employees and 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 you know and, and employees in, in uh, companies that I've been involved with. Uh, you know, really encourage them to to have skin in the game. You know, out of the money options and so on, just to to motivate them uh, to do more. You know, to 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 you know, uh, walk the extra mile if you like. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, and you know, exploration geologists are optimists. Uh, I mean, you have to be. You have to, be. Yeah. yeah, the perseverance that you need to make a discovery. Uh, and they're usually pretty grounded as well. I mean, you know, working out in the heat and the dust and, and, and the flies and living off the back of a, uh, you know, a, a Land Cruiser, you know, sleeping in swags, you know, which I did for probably the first, you know, 40 40 years of my career. Um, mm-hmm. It's not for everyone. And, and and so look, I mean, I love being around geologists. They're great fun. Um, uh, and and you know, so as I said, look, you know, I, I love getting out of bed in the morning. I mean, to create a discovery. Uh, and create wealth for your investors. You know, is a very special, um, it was a very special feeling, uh, and it's very addictive. Uh, and and um, you know, so as I said, you know, it's you uh, you're only ever one drill hole away from a discovery, and and that's what makes this game so exciting. And 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 that's why, yes, I, I guess I'm very passionate about it.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Well, in spite of your background and the size of the resource. Based on the current market capitalization, there appears to be some skepticism. One area of skepticism could be that this is a clay-hosted deposit. There aren't any clay-hosted mines. Luckily, you have Lithium Americas and Ioneer's projects paving the way for you. Could you discuss very briefly the difference between a hard rock flow sheet and a flow sheet for clay-hosted lithium? How much of a challenge, for example, do you think that the sulfuric acid plant, which is one of the biggest capex items for Thacker Pass, will be?
1: Yes. Look, I mean, first of all, I'll touch on the investor skepticism, and look, I mean, that's perfectly understandable. You know, I I, I fully understand why investors are wary about sediment-hosted lithium deposits because, you know, as we sit here today, there are none in commercial, you know, operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, Lithium Americas Pass is now under uh, development. Uh, so that's that's that'll be the first cab you know out of the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, but and and look at what's similar with unconventional hydrocarbons, as we mentioned, you know uh, we mentioned they face similar skepticism early on, uh, you know, as did for example, more locally here, uh, later uh, nickel uh, deposits. Mm-hmm. And, and look, not all projects will be successful. You know, as was the case in the early days of of nickel, but you know you've got two, you know, great mines that have been operating here now for for you know a long time in Murren Murin and Ravens So you know they they you know, but obviously you know new technology, new style of mineralisation, and you know investors are naturally skeptical. You know, but I am encouraged that you know as you mentioned both. Uh, Sacker Pass and, and Rhylite Ridge are well-advanced. In fact, they've both been running pilot plants mm-hmm. for several years now to optimise their, their flow sheets and produce lithium products for, for testing by off-takers. Uh, and they've also entered into off-take agreements with uh, end users. So, you know, that that obviously speaks volumes to the sort of product that they're able to produce. Um, so I think a lot of the perceived uh, processing risks are being addressed, and, and mm-hmm. over time, you know, the, the, they'll be seen to be a lot less risky than than they are currently. Um, the, mm-hmm. the flow sheets uh, for hard rock deposits versus sediment. So look, you know, hard rock deposits, um, the lithiums associated with spodumene uh, crystals formed in intrusives called pegmatites, um, and in WA, where most of the uh, the hard rock uh, lithium is, is sourced, as you mentioned. Um, you know the pegmatites are crushed, the spodumene crystals are concentrated mechanically uh, to produce uh, effectively a, a direct shipping ore, uh, which is usually then shipped overseas. In uh, fact, currently it is all all of it shipped overseas to uh, mostly to China, uh, conversion to um, lithium chemicals for lithium-ion batteries. Uh, though there are conversion facilities. Currently being constructed locally, for example, was a, a joint venture between IGO and Tianchi uh, called the the Kunana Lithium Refinery JV, uh, and and that's producing you know first product at the moment. So you know that's that's well under underway. Uh, whereas both Thacker Pass and, and Rhyolite Ridge, um, you know, they're sediment hosted deposits like McDermott, they propose to leach the lithium. From the sediments with sulfuric acid, which they'll be producing on site from an acid plant, and then purify the the leach solution to precipitate out the lithium carbonate or, or hydroxide if that's what they're producing, uh, and then that'll be shipped to battery factories in the United States. So, um, both that could pass and our McDermott uh, deposit, uh, the ore can be beneficiated, and that's a that's a that's a major advantage because that allows you to concentrate the fine or clay fractions which contain most of the lithium mm-hmm. prior to leaching with with acid uh, and and also uh, fortuitously the beneficiation process also removes a lot of the acid consuming uh, minerals uh, so reduces your acid consumption and that you know obviously improves your project economics so Acid plants, look, they're very common in the fertiliser industry and also in the mining industry. So, mm-hmm. so you're dealing with a proven technology and, and very low technical risk. In fact, you can actually buy them off the shelf. If you Google <laughs> sulfuric acid plants, <laughs> there'll mm-hmm. a number of vendors with photographs of the sort of product that they can, uh, they can provide. So um, uh, look, you know, and, and because uh, another advantage is because the production of, of uh, sulfuric acid is um, exothermic, the heat that's generated can be converted right. to electricity to to power your operation, and you know it's likely that sixty to seventy percent of uh, the, the electricity that's consumed at, at uh, McDermott operation once it's up and running uh, will be uh, produced from the acid plant. So, um, look, I, I don't see that as being nearly uh, uh, the risk, you know, that, that maybe the outside investors see it as. You know.
0: Okay. Well, another area of skepticism may be regulatory uncertainty. Let me ask a a series of questions, but if you could walk through the major steps that are needed to take your resource to a mine, things like NEPA approval. Unlike FACR, which is in Nevada, your property is north of the state line, Oregon, where there's far less mining. How does that impact you? And then finally, South 32's Hermosa project was granted Fast 41 status, making it the first mining project to receive that designation. That designation is designed to help expedite approvals for major infrastructure projects in the U.S. Could you receive Fast 41 status as well?
1: Okay, so look, I mean, the process for, for um, investors outside of, of the United States look, you know, the process of permitting a mine in the United States is much slower currently and more complicated than, say, for example, in Western Australia. Um, But that said, the US government's realised that the permitting process needs to be reformed Mm -hmm. to help the the country become more self-sufficient in critical minerals like lithium. Uh, And there's a bipartisan committee which is currently examining ways to streamline the process. So that's going on in the background. But that said... Uh, Where the current process that we're following is 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 it looks a bit like this. So we've um, we've announced that we've commenced our, our pre-feasibility study, our PFS, and we expect mm-hmm. to complete that by the end of the year. Uh, we've also announced that um, our our application uh, for the exploration plan of operations has been deemed complete by the Bureau of Land Management, the the BLM, uh, who manage. Uh, projects that are located on federal lands. so Thacker Pass Rlight Ridge and McDermott are all located on federal lands and the BLM ultimately uh, you know has responsibility for approving uh, the development of the project. Um, so we've we've uh, we expect the approval of our exploration plan of operations uh, will be uh, com- hopefully received by the middle of next year, so mid twenty twenty four. Uh, and that will allow infill drilling to convert the resource uh, to measured and indicated, which is what we need for a full low feasibility study. Uh, and also allow collection of samples for detailed metallurgical test work. You know, a little bit like, the, if you like, the pilot planting work that that Lithium Americas and, and Iron Air have done on their respective projects. So we've already undertaken environmental and cultural baseline studies and there's been no red flags identified. And we have commence the, the the NEPA process the National environmental um, Policy act uh, is the acronym uh, NEPA uh, and that process which includes environmental assessment and 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 also um, will also have to uh, receive a, a, a permit from uh, the state of Oregon um, mm-hmm. so the next milestone assuming that's that's all approved and we're able to commence drilling you know by mid 2024 will be completion of the the um, a definitive feasibility study, so uh, mm-hmm. targeting mid 2025, uh, and, and that'll also be subject to an environmental impact statement. Uh, and then, you know, assuming that is all, you know, works as, as planned, we expect we'd receive our record decision and key state permits late 2026, um, and which would allow commencement um, of construction by mid 27. So if you look at Thacker Pass, from completion of their P- PFS uh, to commencement of uh, construction, which you know uh, started a, a, a month or two ago, that took four and a half years, uh, and that included uh, several legal challenges to the to the approvals uh, process, uh, and they ultimately were all overturned and and and, uh, and and so on. So we follow a similar path as I said. You know, we we could well be in um, construction by twenty twenty seven. And and sort of by way of background, I mean the McDermott deposit. Look, it's located in Oregon, but it's the poorest county in Oregon, very southeastern corner of Oregon. Yep. There, as I said, there'd be no showstoppers identified from our baseline studies,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and there is bipartisan support for uh, the development of domestic critical minerals projects. So I'm quietly confident that um, McDermott will be developed because really it has to be. Um, um, now you asked about Fast Forty One status. So look, we may qualify. We've um, we're in the process of completing the application form uh, and submitting that. Uh, and um, and I believe that the release of the uh, PFS at the end of the year, which will detail our production metrics, you know how much uh, lithium carbonate we, we we're targeting uh, to produce and the number of decades that the, the of mine life ahead of us. Uh, I think that'll certainly assist that process.
0: Well, that would be a really rapid timetable, achieving those targets. One of the advantages of being in the U.S. is all of the funding that's available. The government, through DOE, is providing INE a loan worth of $700 million. Lithium America has received an investment of $650 million from GM, and they're suggesting that they will also receive a loan that could cover 70% of the first phase of the project. Turning to your project, in February, you announced an agreement with POSCO, which is significant from the standpoint, while it includes mainly metallurgical testing, POSCO itself is a huge investor in lithium. They're spending $4 billion on brine projects in Argentina they have a battery cathode active material project in Canada among others so for a company like yours it's relatively small the capital cost for this project will be significant but it appears that for a small company like Jindalee to move from resource to mine without massive dilution is possible is this correct and what are the prospects for the partnership with posco
1: Yes, look, I believe it is correct, there, Pete. The, um, I mean, Posco's got an agreement to provide uh, cathode active material to General Motors, and and obviously they're clearly interested in McDermott uh, because of the scale and the potential to provide lithium products for decades and decades. So um, their metallurgical test work, you know, may well lead to a, a deeper relationship. But look, you know, we're keeping all our options open at this stage. Uh, we're continuing to de-risk the project, do our own metallurgical test work in parallel with that being done by POSCO, and and, and not enter into any um, agreements at the moment, which could reduce our flexibility. Um, and as you mentioned, obviously, the America's have you know uh, announced that the combination of the GM investment um, plus a likely loan from the Department of Energy is expected to cover most of their um, estimated uh, capital for. Phase one of the Thacker Pass uh, project. So, um, you know, that's very encouraging. Um, you know, we, and, and given that our resources, you know, similar size, slightly bigger uh, mm-hmm. than, than Thacker Pass, um, you know, we're quietly confident that it will be funded via a combination of US government loans uh, combined with funding from an offtake uh, partner, whether that's POSCO or another group, only time will tell. Um, but we do have a track record of. Uh, minimising dilution to maintain a tight capital structure. I mean, our first capital raising was 17 years after our IPO, which is really unusual. We ipo July 2002. First capital raising was, you know, 17 years later in 2019. Uh, so as a result, we've only got 57.4 million shares on issue. Uh, and that provides fantastic leverage for our shareholders uh, with you know should things proceed as we expect they would so look you know I think that it's pretty clear the track record is we we, we guard our capital structure very uh, closely to make sure that we maximize leverage for our shareholders
0: well it's a very very interesting story Lindsay thanks for being on the podcast and reviewing it it was great to have you here And thank you for listening and look for the next GEM podcast. During the next episodes, we'll continue looking at lithium projects in North America, followed by Europe and conclude with lithium recyclers. In the meantime, follow Stockhead for daily updates on all of the key information about the industry. And until next time, good day.